is from Psalm 8, which is on page 546 in the Church Bibles. Oops. Okay. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, and uh, thanks for having me back again. Or is it everybody else is away? No, it's not that everybody else is away. I have to tell myself this, because Cameron's here, and Anthony's here, and I'm sure I saw Steve at some point, and, I, and I'm preaching. So, uh, wow. So my sweaty fingers stop not opening. I'm just going to... So... As you can see from the slide, Dave gave us this morning's sermon, the title, What is a Human Being? And we are going to look at that, but before we look at this psalm, because we're looking at several psalms over the summer, I thought it'd be helpful to think a bit about psalms. But before we even do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We pray that as we read it together and reflect on it together, you will speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm sure it's true that for many of us, Psalms are our go-to places, whether it's using Psalms of praise in worship or service leading, because I know I do that, but also in times of sadness and despair. Jesus quotes from the Psalms throughout his ministry and they hold a special place in our hearts. Even those people with no faith will have some knowledge of Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, even if they don't know it's a psalm or really know what it's about. So Psalms were and still are the hymn book of God's people. We see musical instructions at the beginning, some of which we understand. And some, like the Gittif referred to at the start of Psalm 8, we don't. They've got ideas, but they don't really know what it means. The theologians over the years have described Psalms in different ways. They've said the compendium of all theology, a little Bible, and a summary of the Old Testament that also speaks of Jesus, like the rest of the Old Testament. And just as our worship this morning has been enriching, encouraging, and enlivening, these psalms were to God's people when they were written, a compendium of their favourite hymns, something for everyone and every occasion, 
just like the songs of praise evening we had last Sunday evening. So psalms are poetry. In English poetry, we have different types and different styles. I'm no English scholar, but in our house, we've got a surprising number of poetry books between me and Anna, that is. I don't think Dave has any. And I've brought a few poems with me to give you some examples. So, here's a short poem that, with the exception of a couple of people here, you'll never have heard this before. Listen to the clanky sound when the wheels go round and round, like a dragon breathing smoke, twisting, turning on its route. See the smoke all pouring out, children cough all round about. Hear the whistle very clear. Now, the train at last is here. It's a familiar pattern for British poetry. I have no idea why it's echoing. But it's a really familiar pattern, clear rhythm. Clear rhyme, written by me in 1973. <laughs> but if you read contemporary poems at all, you'll find there might not be any rhyme in them. It's all about rhythm. Here's one by Caroline Duffy. The piano eats with chopsticks, cool minims, diced demi-semi-quavers. When the lid goes down, the piano is inscrutable, shining with health. The piano stands politely until the next meal, silent for as long as it takes. So, absolutely no rhyme in that. And when we read Psalms from our English Bibles, do I have to have this microphone on as well? Because <laughs> it's it's making this. Oh, Okay, it's just it's banging every time I touch the table. Uh, anyway, so when we read Psalms through our English Bibles, we know they don't rhyme, though some of them have been turned into rhyming hymns. But I'd assumed that they rhymed when they were written, because I thought poems rhyme. But I was wrong. Even if you read ancient Hebrew, they don't rhyme because the principle of Hebrew poetry was nothing about rhyming. But it does have a very definite structure. Most psalms contain lots of repetition and Psalm 8 definitely falls into this category. So just like when we try to explain or teach something to someone, the writer of the psalm explains an idea and then expresses the same idea in a different way to give emphasis to it. It's that tell them and tell them again philosophy that we're so used to using in work with children. That's what the Psalms do for emphasis. Our English poems usually have verses. And if you look at a Psalm in your Bible, it's divided into sections. They vary in length, but each section is usually a series of connected ideas. So if you haven't got your Bibles open, I'd encourage you, turn to Psalm 8 on page 546. Psalm 8 has been described as Genesis chapter 1 and 2, 
summarised into nine verses. And this morning, we're going to look at it in the following sections. Firstly, the majesty of God, verses, verse 1a, the glory of God, verses 1b to 4, mankind, verses 5 to 8, and the majesty of God, again, in verse 9. So section one, the majesty of God. The psalm starts and finishes with the phrase, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This opening phrase, the first three words, refers to God both as Lord, and if you look in your Bible, you see it's Lord written in capital letters, and also our Lord, where Lord's in little letters. So in one simple phrase, it sums up the fact that God is the Holy Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, God's name. So holy it wasn't even written out in full. While showing the personal relationship God has with his people, who can address him as our Lord and acknowledge him as their own king or their Lord. And that same verse, half verse, shows us that God's majesty, his kingship, is not just of the local region. Instead, you'll see David describes God's name as being majestic in all the earth. So God is the king of all the earth. That's quite a summary of the Bible story. In a dozen words, less than that. So moving on to the next section, the glory of God. David, who wrote the psalm, King David, goes on to give us images of God's glory. First of all, he talks about the heavens in 1b and in 3, and we'll come on to that shortly. But first we'll look at verse 2, which explains this glory seen in the way God has strength over his enemies. So when the psalm says, through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies, we can learn that God takes the praises of the weakest members of his family, children, babies, not the people we'd usually put in the front line of a battle, and through that can overturn his enemies. Now, we're all encouraged by the praises of our children, but this is bigger than that. This is saying, even though it's not praise of the biggest church with the professional bands, smoke machines and hours of sung worship, it's a picture of praises offered by those who would have been seen as insignificant in Jewish society, the children and the infants. But their praises are sufficient to create stronghold of a castle tower in the middle of a compound, the most secure place in the area. Clearly, all the glory goes to God, because only he could make such an unlikely thing happen. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, Paul tells us that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
Jesus also quotes from this psalm in an incident recorded in Matthew 21, verses 12 to 17. It's a bit where he's arrived in Jerusalem, so after Palm Sunday. He's overturned the tables in the temple court, and then people start to bring sick people to him. And whilst that's happening in the temple courts, the children call out, Hosanna to the son of David. And that really annoys the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And Jesus quotes back Psalm 8 to them. He says, From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. A simple phrase encapsulating both the glory of God and the fact that the chief priests and the teachers of the law have become the enemy. And I'm sure the meaning of that phrase wouldn't have been lost on those scholars. So when we feel weak, unable to do the thing we know God is asking us to do, we must remember he's not asking us to do it in our strength, because our strength's never enough, but his strength. Our strength's insignificant. It's just nothing in comparison to his. But God doesn't ask us to be strong in ourselves, but to trust him for our strength. And the weaker we are, the more people can see that it has to be God at work. <coughs> Do you have the lights? Off. Right. I can see the pictures now. So we've seen God's glory displayed through his weakness. In verse 3, and then in verse 3, we return to the theme of 1b, the glory of God displayed in the heavens. Now, I think this is an amazing picture of the night sky, but you probably can't see it brilliantly here. Every time I look at it, I just see more and more stars. The bits that look dark, where you really look, the stars there. I think Anthony's shown us this before. It's a picture he took back in November 2016. But though you probably can't see enough detail on this computer, on this screen, when I look at it on my computer, every star looks a different size or shade. And the harder I look, the more stars I see. And I also feel I'm being pulled into the middle of the picture. Now, if you want to know more about stars, ask Anthony, ask Anna, don't ask me, because my level of understanding is at the awe and wonder stage. It's probably this book, I Wonder Why the Stars Twinkle, which I probably bought when I was about three. But it tells me, nice pictures, tells me that there are about a thousand billion stars in the Milky Way, the galaxy we live in, and that that's nearly 200 stars for every person living on Earth today. That was a number I could sort of understand. And that astronomers had calculated, but, but actually this book's 25 years old and science is growing. But when they wrote this book, they'd calculated about 100 billion billion stars. And I've also read that in our hemisphere, we'd be able to see about 5,000 5, stars with the naked eye if it weren't for light pollution. Now, when David wrote Psalm 8, he didn't have that Osborne book. He didn't have Anthony's telescope. 
but neither did he have the light pollution we have now. In his time as a shepherd outside, he must have been very aware of the sky above, the vast array of stars, the way they changed, the seasons changed, and through that he grasped the creative power of God in the works of God he saw. David knew the value of simply considering the glory of God in creation. He knew what it was like to look up into the starry sky and consider what a great God had made this vast, wonderful universe. And you'll notice in the passage, he talks about God's fingers. Fingers making the stars. So how big's God? Yeah. My fingers can't carry very much. I need my hands and I might need somebody to help me and I might need a truck. God's fingers create the stars. It's such powerful personal involvement by God. And it's clear that as David looks at the creation he can see around him, he is in awe of God. As we look around, do we see God and have that same sense of awe at how amazing he is? So, considering the greatness of the heavens has made David consider the relative smallness and insignificance of man. David's wondering why such a great big God will be so mindful of such small things. So in verse 4, David moves on to ask his big question. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. A good question. Some of you here might remember a nursery rhyme. What are little girls made of and what are little boys made of? You might remember that that rhyme teaches us little girls are made of sugar and spice and all things nice. Whilst little boys are made of frogs and snails and puppy dogs tails. Now you don't need GCSE biology to know that that isn't the real answer to the question, what is a human being? So perhaps to find an answer, we need to look at science rather than nursery rhymes. I know there are a few nurses here, as well as people who studied biology, at least to GCSE O-level standard, who I'm sure could give us loads of facts about the human body. I didn't study O-level biology, but in our house, we've got lots of encyclopedias as well as Google, and they're usually helpful when I don't know. So, the Dolan Kingsley Children's Encyclopedia of Animals describes humans as the most intelligent animals on Earth, whilst giving a load of facts in just the same way it does about horses and elephants and lions and everything. And we'll come back to that definition later. But whilst looking, I found this chart. This chart explains that a human being is a whole mixture of different elements, but predominantly oxygen, 65%, carbon, 18%, and hydrogen, 9.5%. So that accounts for 92.5% of the body, with the rest being other elements. In real terms, 
predominantly made of water because the gases get together to make water. Physics tells us that because we're made up of elements and they're created in space, in fact, we're effectively made up of stardust, which is a nicer picture than frogs and snails and puppy dogs' tails. But in verse 5, David answers his own question. without any need for us to look at science. In verse, in our translation, verse 5 tells us, you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. And in our translation, there we've got the word angels, other translations have heavenly beings or God. But it's also worth noting that David doesn't say, I've made them a little higher than the rest of the created beings, the birds of the air, beasts of the field and fish of the sea. Instead, David knows that mankind is so important to God that man's exalted just below the heavenly realms and therefore, God is mindful of them and cares for him. Okay. Now, when God sends Jesus, he doesn't send Jesus to die to save the elephants and the camels and the giraffes and restore them to God. He dies to save us for our relationship with God because we're that important to God. We're that, that close in his creation. But often people do see mankind as more animal than angelic. But David looks upwards and sees man created in the image of God, just a little lower than the angels. It's been said that although mankind is made in God's image, as men and women have turned their back on God and stopped looking upwards to him, they are now looking downwards at creation and becoming increasingly like the animals. So we're back to DK's children's encyclopedia describing humans as the most intelligent animals on earth. But this psalm and this whole Bible tells us we're more than this and our challenge is to keep looking up and our eyes fixed upon God got Jesus to follow, fully man, fully God. You might have read this psalm at the beginning and thought, it feels really familiar. And that's because bits of it get quoted so many different places throughout the New Testament. Jesus uses it, Paul uses it, probably other people use it, and I won't have found all the, all the bits. But Paul uses this passage to explain that Jesus was made lower than the angels for a while when he came to earth. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 9, Paul says, It's not to angels that he, God, has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? 
a son of man that you cared for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. <clears throat> you crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. So we see Paul telling us that's Jesus a little lower than the angels because he's man. <coughs> so mankind, Jesus is, is, in, is humanity. We see God cares. He's given us this high position and we need to live out our lives in a way that fits our exalted position in creation. So in the psalm, verses 6 to 8 shows us how God is both creator and ruler. And just like in Genesis 1, verse 28, God gives man the responsibility to care for his creation. David, David says that mankind is to be rulers over the works of God's hands, or flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. So King David's answered for us the question, what is a human being? We are created by God, whose majesty is known throughout the earth, and whose glory is seen both in the glories of creation and the way he chooses to use the weak and vulnerable, us, to achieve his purposes, and that we are trusted by him to care for all that he's created. Having explained that, the psalm ends where it begins, reminding us of God's majesty, his kingship of the whole earth. Yet his personal approach to us, if we will let him be our Lord. So I thought it'd be really good if we read together the words of Psalm 8, they're going to come up on the screen, celebrating who God is, what he's done, and how much he loves and trusts us. So we'll say together, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name for all the earth. Father God, we thank you for this psalm, reminding us of your majesty, your kingship of the whole earth, but your love and devotion to us, the way you see us, is so important in your creation. 
Pray that we will live each day for you, knowing your relationship and your desire for us to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.